What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Catch. Uh, we have a great episode for you today. Uh, we have an extended intro where we talk about a lot of different stuff from lab-grown chicken to new music, uh, Billy Joel, and should hot dogs really be eaten indoors or are they, or are they a strictly outdoor food? Uh, we then get into a draft of the craziest NBA stories we could think of. Um, we dive into some of the dark years of our favorite franchises and talk about some of our favorite players from those dark years. And then we wrap up with another guest of the year. Enjoy. So we'll start off today's episode, like how I've been starting off every episode with a quick catch up um, slash what have we been consuming lately. So we'll start with you, man. What have you been uh, consuming since we last spoke? Since we last spoke, I did the impossible. I finally got perfection on the uh, baseball immaculate grid uh, that you and I have shared daily. Not only did I get it one time, I got it on back to back days. Um, there you go. And it's probably easily a top five accomplishment um, of my 2023, completing that. Um, especially because you don't realize the number of guys that you forgot about that you now just remember randomly from playing this game. Um, and I'm not a huge follower of baseball, so I'm impressing myself with the player, the, the random players that I'm able to remember, um, trying to guess guess these teams. So that was that was a big thing for me. That was a big win. A big ego boost in a sense. That's the most fun part about it. Like remembering players from your childhood that you never thought you would think about again. Um, I've gotten a few of them, but now we're at the point where you're trying to get the best rarity score. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is hard because it's like, all right, I know this person, but let me try to think of one that's like that nobody else is going to get. But um, I like trying to find the guys that like fit, that have put like the Ish Smith type guy of the MLB. So you had said before, it's like the Edwin Jacksons of the world, the uh, Juan Pierre's, Nigel Morgan's, the uh, – I think you mentioned um, – not well, I guess Dexter Fowler probably could fit in there, but you mentioned somebody else. I can't remember who it was. Oh, Cam, um, Cam Cameron Maven? Maven. I was just – yeah. I, was, I was trying to think of him because he's the Yankees announcer, and he played on the Yankees a few years ago. Um, he's an announcer with them now? Yeah, yep. He doesn't he doesn't do that like he's not like a daily guy but he's like a okay he works for the s network or at least he did recently i don't know if he's still with them but at least last year he was um but i'm a big daily game daily puzzle guy i get uh whenever i find a crossword in a magazine or something like that i'm doing it i'm a big wordle guy so the immaculate grid is definitely the best of those games it's definitely fun just to like wake up in the morning and do that. They they added a football one, which I know was on the like the NBA crossover grid, the NBA one. It's on like yeah, a different I'll site. They one. had like a football version on that site, but now like the actual immaculate grid site has the NFL. I'm not as good at the NFL. I, I've always been a baseball and basketball fan, and like I am a football fan too, which is more for gambling reasons, to be candid. I'm I'm at the point there's a a bit off track, but I'm at the point where I think I'm more of a football fan than I'm a basketball fan. 
NBA fan at least. Like I can weird. sit there. Sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say I can sit there and I watch football all day long, it, even if it's not an Eagles game. I'm I'm not really watching basketball daily if it's not the Sixers. Which this year they might not be getting my attention this season. I'll be honest with you, but that's besides the point. But no, but football is just like so much more entertaining to me to watch. Like in a duration, more duration than basketball is. I know what you mean. I feel like, I mean, I'll always enjoy watching basketball over football. But I feel yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like since there's, they, there's just like inherent qualities that football has that's always going to benefit them. Like the fact that they only play once a week. Like you just want since that's the I mean there's Thursday Monday night games too but let's just say like more broadly they're only playing on Sunday you're gonna yeah. be so much more engaged in that one day and just like the gambling aspect of everything between like fantasy football or like pick 'em pools or survivor pools or just like regular wagers just like there's nothing and I don't know if it's like a weather thing like in the fall and winter when it's football season like on a Sunday after a long work week, getting ready for another long work week, just like sitting and chilling on a, on like sitting on your couch on a Sunday, just watching games and yeah. on every single one of them or like keeping track of your fantasy team, maybe having like a couple beers and just chilling. Like when it's cold outside, you don't want to go outside. There's just something about that that kind of makes it more enjoyable to watch. Also like star players, unless they're hurt are going to be playing every game because there's so much fewer games that every game matters so much more. Yeah. Much more at stake. But even with that being said, I just feel like this has always been the case, but the fact that they wear helmets and the fact that they're just like, they're not as easily accessible in a way, it makes it harder to do the grid because you don't, uh, there's not as much player yeah. ability and like, you're not really like seeing the players as much of that. I mean, I feel like that's like the dumb way to explain it, but. Yeah, no, I haven't made an attempt at the football grid, the NFL grid, but I know once I do, it's going to be a struggle for me. I could get, I mean, I'm good for maybe four, four of them, a, a day, like filling out four of the nine. Cause if it's yeah. like, oh, like, I think the one today was like 3,000 plus passing, 3,000 plus yard passing season. So, okay. like, you could, yeah, think saw a, you could think of a quarterback on it, on whatever teams it was that did that. You just think of a good quarterback. But, like, if it's like who played on the Seahawks and the Cowboys, it's like, I don't know, just as like a casual football fan, I'm not really in tune with all the linemen and, special teams players that are bouncing around the league and there's less like player mobility with stars like quarterbacks and receivers than there is in the NBA or MLB. But to answer your question, I believe Terrell Owens played for both the Cowboys and the Seahawks. Was he on the Seahawks? I don't know. I think he may have been. He can fact check me on that later. But um, besides the Immaculate Grid, any new music or movies or anything? Yeah. Musically. I've been, I've I've been uh, looking forward to, sharing this because i don't know how um which i may have been for not knowing this song that i'm about to share um but i easily think that this might be a song i've ever i've ever heard um so i was watching the news the other day and they were talking about billy joel and they like showed him performing <laughs> they showed him performing on stage um and like spotlight on him, and then they panned out into the crowd. And I was like, "Wow!" Like, yeah, I know he's a big artist, a huge artist. Um, but there's just something, just just the way that it was presented. I was like, "There's there's no reason why I really shouldn't be too familiar with Billy Joel, or at least I should be more familiar with him than I am." 
Because off the top of my head, at that, at, in that moment, I couldn't think of a Billy Joel song off the top of my head. So I was like, all right, let me go check out what his most popular song is. extremely are. obvious. Piano Man, yeah. So once I Googled him, um, well, Apple Music searched him, I was like, oh, Piano Man, of course I know that song. So I went to the next song down, Vienna. Do you know that song? I'm not going to lie, I'm not too in tune with Billy Joel either. Wait, let me look at my Apple Music real quick. Let me see how many songs I have downloaded of Billy Joel. Piano Man was definitely the only song that I had of his, but I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one. one. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one who wasn't familiar with the song Vienna. So I listened to it. Bro, you have to to listen. Anybody who's listening to this currently who hasn't heard the song Vienna, do yourself the favor and uh, get in tune with it. It's a great fucking song. It's better than Piano Man. Yeah, yeah. But Vienna's also more of uh, my vibe in a sense. Um, and there's a story to it and like a, a much deeper meaning than just what the lyrics are. Um, but then even beyond that, I was like, all right, like this is such a great song. Let me go ahead and listen to the entire album. So I listened to the entire album that Vienna uh, was on. It's on the album. It's called The Stranger. And this, the, the album in general is fucking, it's fantastic. Like, it really is. Um, and again, I wasn't familiar with Billy Joel's music aside from um, Piano Man anyways. And it's not, it's not a song that I listen to regularly. Um, but I probably played Vienna like when Apple Music Rap comes up at the end of this year. <laughs> <laughs> Vienna's definitely going to be like in my top whatever. And 75% of those listens are probably going to be from this week alone. I listen to that song so much, bro, to the point where I'm on, like, YouTube looking up, like, Vienna covers, like, other people <laughs> saying, recording themselves singing it, too. Bro, it's such a good song. Um, like I said, the, and the album was great, too. The other song off the album that was pretty dope was a song. It was called Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. Um, and it's, like, a very grand song, so that's probably the best way I could describe it. Um, and it's, like, a multi, like, multi, it's, like, like, like a story. And each verse is like a has like a different instrumentation, and he switches how he sings on it. Um, Billy Joel's amazing. If I could see that live or see him perform that album live, I'd pay a undisclosed amount of money. Well, he's definitely one of like the goats of just music in general. Yeah, and I don't know if it was it was probably a combination of just like never hearing it because my parents didn't listen to him, and also just. Like being our age, like he was never like making music while he's been alive. Yeah. So I mean, it kind of makes sense, but he's also just so big that we probably should have heard more than one song in our lives before now. Easily, easily. But we are lucky. This makes me think of something. I was listening to an interview recently um, that Bill Simmons did on his podcast with Judd Apatow, and they were talking about like being parents and having kids and stuff. And like, we are really fortunate to live in the time that we do and have such like easy access to everything you know there's good and bad about everything but having like the internet having phones our whole lives and computers where like you get access information so quickly or like you know consume any content so easily Judd Apatow was basically saying that like when when you when he was a kid like he remembers the first album he bought like buying albums and like what whatever albums you buy like that's what you have where he was yeah. saying like he was telling his kid one day like oh you like you should listen to like you should check out Pink Floyd like I love Pink Floyd when I was a kid like you should check him out like his daughter um she like listened to like 
every Pink Floyd album in like two days, and then like got back and like, oh yeah, like that was awesome, like yeah, and then like she's like over it. But like the fact that we even have like the capabilities of doing that, it's just like I feel like just having that information at a ready is such an advantage for like younger people. Oh, well, I mean everybody has it now, but like for our generation and the gen- like the generation below us and stuff like that. Yeah, nah, most definitely, because then it makes the things that were older, quote unquote, they're essentially like timeless or ageless because you have that access for at this point eternity um, yeah. to everything. So yeah, no, definitely a, a good end to it and a bad to it. But I would say like sticking with music, um, like to that point, essentially you do have access to so much. I think it's kind of to the point where I also, not that I consume too much, but like I consume enough to the point where I forget forget things that I have consumed before that I do actually enjoy because what I was going to share next is another song that I had evidently I heard before um, and I don't remember ever listening to it and like hearing it again um, I was like holy shit like this song is, is great as well so I was I was working and I had to have my music on shuffle um, this is the music within my library so a song I wouldn't have added and the song came up I'm like I have no idea what song this is like, I've never heard Sounded somewhat familiar, but I didn't really wasn't certain that I had heard it. Um, and I look up the artist, look on my phone, and see who, who the artist was, see what song it was. I was like, all right, the name looks kind of familiar, but I don't know when I would have heard the song um, and when I would when I would have added it. Um, but this song is called uh, "Paper for Janet" by a guy named Cosmo Pike. I know you you probably have no idea, and I don't. I had no idea who he was either. I would not imagine most people listening probably have no idea who the guy is either. I find myself listening to like a lot of, I can't even say underground, but just lesser known uh, music. Um, but he's not a rapper. He's, uh, I don't even know what kind of music he makes. He's just kind of a songwriter, plays live instruments and in his music. But um, yeah, the song of Piper for Jan, it was super dope too. And like, not his whole vibe as an artist in general, but just that song in particular kind of has like Bob Marley vibes. Um, in a way, um, but yeah, for those that that are interested or want something new, I would definitely check out that song as well, "Piper for Janet" by Cosmo Pike. Um, that was a good song in Vienna because, like I said, Vienna's a top ten song I've ever heard in my life. I guess that is a bad like. Like I said, there's a good and bad with everything. Like it is good to have that much information like readily accessible, but it also is kind of like an oversaturation. I don't know if we talked about it Definitely. Like before, but like just how much, how many streaming services there are and how much content there is and the social media platforms. I just feel like you get to a point where it's like an overload and you kind of have to like, I don't know if like setting boundaries is the right way to put it, but like kind of, you have to prioritize what you're going to do pretty much. Definitely. Definitely. Which, I mean, it's not really a huge problem to have. Like it's fucking like, you know, TV shows and whatnot, but like you kind of have to pick and choose what you're going to watch and what you're not. Cause there's such an overset, like I said, an oversaturation of the market. It's like nobody is humanly capable of consuming everything. Trust me. I know you want to see my uh, music and TV show to watch list. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, my channel fits <laughs> through the roof. It's only going to keep growing. Um, but next thing I wanted to talk about, have you seen all the Barbenheimer hype? No idea what that is. Barbenheimer. <laughs> Barbenheimer. 
I, I, yeah, I, yeah, you lost me. So this Elaborate. weekend, or tonight actually, Barbie and Oppenheimer are both uh, premiering in theaters. You haven't heard the hype about it at all? I, I, I mean, can't. I, okay, I, I, knew, I knew Barbie was being released. I have no idea who. Say the name again. I don't want to Oppenheimer. I have no idea who that is. You're not a movie guy, so it's understandable. But I haven't been able to escape the hype about Barbenheimer. It's just nonstop on social media, TV, everything I see. I mean, I consume a lot of this stuff because I'm in a movie. So, like, I listen to a lot of other movie podcasts and stuff like that. But I haven't been able to avoid it. So, basically, it's, like, a huge deal because these are probably going to be... Oppenheimer would probably be the biggest movie of the year. Barbie would probably be, like, a top five biggest movie of the year. And they're premiering the same day. Which, like, for two huge movies like that is, like, kind of rare. I know, like, The Dark Knight and Mamma Mia premiered on the same day. They both made, like, a fuck ton of money. But both these movies are going to make, like, an absurd amount of money. And like I said, be two of the biggest movies of the year. Um, so everybody has been calling it Barbenheimer because it's, like, people are... <laughs> and it's also, like, funny that they're so different that, like, they work as a double feature. Uh, so I got my tickets for Sunday. I'm seeing the double feature. I which I you're seeing both. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll tell you what. Well, before I do this, I will say that like there's a drive-in in the town that I live in in uh, Warwick. So like they show double features mainly. Like sometimes if it's a long movie, they only show one. But for the most part, they show double features. So it'd be like eight or I guess not probably later. Like once the sun goes down, like maybe nine o'clock the first movie starts, and then like eleven or eleven thirty the second movie starts. So they'll yeah. pair up movies where they'll have there's three screens. So one screen will be like like a PG-13, like, action-adventure movie paired with, like, a animated movie or something. Like, one that's, like, built towards families, and then we'll have another one that's, like, blockbusters, and then one that's, like, like more for adults or something like that. Um, so they usually do that. And then, like, in movie theaters, they rarely do that. So I've seen... I've seen multiple movies in the same day before, but never two different movies and never as like a double feature. Um, I would I would say off the top of my head, the one I can remember m- mostly is Avengers Endgame. Like I saw it multiple times in the same day just because I couldn't see it enough and get enough of it. Yeah, that's not really, we know, like, trust me. That's not like a double feature. So do you know what Barbie's about? Uh, no idea. I would have figured... Actually, I was gonna say I was gonna try to make a guess. I have no idea what it could possibly be about. It's I, I it, it's basically from what I've gathered, it's that Barbie, like the doll, in is like coming into the real world pretty much. What's the what's the appeal to that? Maybe I, I'm just well, not being open minded enough, but what's the appeal to that? Well, Margot Robbie's playing Barbie, Ryan Gosling's playing Ken, Will Ferrell's in it. So it's just like, a, you know, it's just a blockbuster. But, and then Oppenheimer, you know Christopher Nolan? No. So, like, he directed the Dark Knight trilogy, and he did, like, Inception, and, um... Did you ever see Interstellar? We watched that together? No. Oh, we, I think we... Matthew McConaughey. We have, actually. He's, like, an astronaut. So Christopher Nolan, anyway, he's like he's regarded as one of the best filmmakers in Hollywood. So it's his latest movie. Everybody's saying it's his best movie. And it's about like the making of the atomic bomb. And it's like a super dark movie with like a really good cast. So it's like a really like dark, like really like filmy film, if you know what I mean. And then there's Barbie. 
So like they're so like different that it like goes together as a double feature. So they've been calling it Barbenheimer. So at, based on those two plots, which one, which order would you watch it in? Because that's also been a topic of debate. I'm watching Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. That's that's like the name of the guy that made the atomic bomb. His last name is yeah. Oppenheimer. I'm, I'm watching Oppenheimer first, and then leaving. But <laughs> you're not watching Barbie. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Well, I'm watching Oppenheimer first, and then I'm watching Barbie. It's kind of funny. Like you, I've been seeing on Twitter and stuff, like schedule for the day, like wake up, have a cigarette, drink a black coffee, watch Oppenheimer, then like take a break, have brunch, drink a mimosa, then watch Barbie. <laughs> I think that is the way to do it. Like you want to get the dark, grim stuff out of the way first. You watch that, and then Barbie's like a good way to get to end the night. Well, yeah, lift the spirits a little bit. Christopher Nolan's been a little over the top. I feel like he's always like this. Like he's kind of like a, I don't know how to word it. Like he's, he makes really complex films like Tenant and Interstellar and Inception. They're like type of movies that maybe you need to watch more than wants to fully grasp. And he's kind of like, oh, like if you don't understand my movies, like that's your fault. It's not my fault type of guy. So he's like kind of already over the top. And he's been saying that like, if you see this movie in the best quality that you can, like in an IMAX with like, you know, the right qualities of the theater that like you're going to be able to experience what it feels like, like to be, to be a part of an atomic bombing. <laughs> I actually might want to see that truthfully though. I actually might want to see that movie. Cause that sounds crazy. It's going to be um, the best movie of the year. Definitely. Yeah. So I was going to say, what are your expectations, expectations for it? I, it's, I mean, I don't like, obviously they're promoting the movie, but everybody that's involved in the movie, like Matt Damon or yeah, Matt Damon's in it. Robert Downey Jr. plays Iron Man's in it. He said it's the best movie he's ever been in. Um, Killian Murphy's in it. I don't know if you would know who he is. No. He's like the main guy from Peaky Blinders, the Netflix show. Nope. And like he played the he played the Scarecrow in the Dark Knight trilogy. So he has experience with Christopher Nolan already. But he's playing the main guy. But we'll get more into it next episode because I'm seeing it on Sunday. So I'll give my breakdown. But I bet they're yeah. both going to be great, but just in different ways. Um, and then a couple, couple other quick hitters just to wrap up this intro. I know it's going a bit long. We'll be quick here. Rapid fire. Have you seen this lab grown chicken? No. So Where just, are you getting this random stuff from, man? <laughs> the, F, the FDA approved uh, lab grown chicken. So I had heard about this like, a couple weeks ago, and then my girlfriend sent me a video of what it looks like. So they're starting to serve it in California. Granted, it looks disgusting, as you would imagine. It's absolutely looks absolutely repulsive. But my question is, well, first, what are your initial thoughts when you hear lab-grown chicken? Like it's they was grown in a lab using like using cells or I don't know the science behind it. But would is would this be something that you ever tried or are you completely disgusted by it? I mean, I'm not I'm not disgusted by it. But like, my concern automatically goes to like what is in it. I have to imagine that it's like, I mean, I don't know what chemicals or God knows what else that they're using to uh, yeah. nurture. I guess not even nurture, because that's more of a natural thing. I don't, I don't even know what the word would be um, to develop this thing. But whatever True. is in it and whatever's being used can be good for my body. So my initial thoughts are obviously any person is going to be like, that's disgusting. Like, that's going to be your initial thought. 
obviously. Yes. Yes. But just to play devil's advocate here, and I might be in the minority on this, but I feel like, like obviously, like there's like farm to table type stuff and like organic stuff that's like really good for you and you know, but there are like you watch these crazy documentaries on Netflix and stuff and you see all these crazy all these crazy things where there's like chickens and cows that are tied like hanging by their leg on like a yeah like like in a factory like these these animals are never even born on a farm like it's all coming from a factory and stuff and slaughterhouses and all this gross stuff and they're so like the factories are all dirty and everything and we really don't know what they're what type of steroids and pesticides that are inside these animals we're eating and we eat so much processed meat like fast food like we really don't know what we're eating anyway and it's already coming from a factory granted that it is a real animal but and yeah, when you look at it, it looks really gross, the lab-grown chicken. But if you think like really basically about it, if you take a regular piece of chicken breast, you're literally looking at a piece of raw flesh. Like that's disgusting too. So is the lab-grown meat really that much more gross? If you really like, obviously I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm not saying I'm going to eat it. I'm not saying it's going to be good. And yeah, I like regular chicken. But I, I don't know, maybe like, is it really that much worse? Can I be completely honest <laughs> with you? Sure. I could easily do without having this conversation. <laughs> easily. <laughs> I'd rather not I'd rather not have to think about uh where my food is coming from before and then All where right. it may be coming from um with this little lab experiment. So my question actually would be though, on packaging or if it's served at a restaurant, is it gonna say this is lab grown chicken or I, I, would think that they have to, I would think they have to disclose that. I would think so. They would have to. But obviously, ignorance is bliss. This isn't the type of thing you really want to be thinking about. But just a little food for thought, no pun intended. Um, I, I, got, I got a couple more things. I know this is long, but I saw something. Well, I didn't really see it, but I just thought about it today. And it made me think of something else. So I had tweeted probably a couple years ago at this point. Like, I went to a movie. I went to see a movie. And these people sitting next to me pulled hot dogs out of their bags. <laughs> so, like, I tweeted, if you eat a hot dog in a movie theater, you're a super villain. So, I just, like, view that as villain activity, villain behavior. Like, I don't think that hot dogs should be eaten in a movie theater. Um, and it made me think, should a hot And granted, I don't eat beef or pork or red meat. So, like, the hot dogs I eat are turkey hot dogs. But regardless... It made me think, should hot dogs only be eaten outdoors? Is a hot dog really an indoor food? Because no, I feel that's like in, that's, eat... insane, that's insane to say. I don't um, think a hot dog should be eaten at a movie theater. I'm to say it should only be eaten outdoors. Now, I, I will say that it, like, it enhances the flavor or like, the enjoyment of it like two and a half times. Um, eating outdoors, I'm saying. But I don't think that it's something that needs to be eaten outdoors to enjoy. Um because, you know, you have an outdoor event, it gets a little bit rainy, you come in to, or no, don't even factor in the weather. You want to come in to grab an, another drink from out the fridge or something like that. Um, you're going to bring the hot dog on to go with you. And, you know, if that means having to eat it indoors or whatever the case is, uh, still just as good. I will say, though, like a hot dog is like the ultimate I'm not going to say a struggle meal, but like when time, when times are hard, you need something quick to have. The ultimate struggle meal. 
but yeah, because yeah, they're they're forty seven cents a pack. Um, <laughs> but odd dogs, I mean, it, it's just it's it's an easy meal. So like when when times are hard and you need to have something to eat, hot dog always will serve you right. Um, so that that with that alone, I I have to say that it's acceptable to have a hot dog indoors because hot dogs never done me wrong. <laughs> hot dogs true. never done me wrong. That's true. I just feel like the the typical setting for a hot dog would be like at a barbecue, a cookout, or something, you're grilling, whatever, or like at a baseball game or something like that. Like you're grabbing one on the golf course and bringing it out with you. Like I feel like it's a quick, easy grab and go thing that you're eating while you're outside. Like nobody's having like, oh, you want to come over for dinner tonight in the middle of November? Like, yeah, and have hot dogs. hot dogs. Maybe yeah. if you're five years old and you have hot dogs chopped up in your mac and cheese or something like that. That's one thing. I just feel like, and obviously, if it's raining, you come in. So maybe it's not. Nah, disregard the rain because that was that was a bad that was a bad example. That was a bad example. I can admit that. But it's actually no. But it really is crazy you say that because, like, thinking back on it, I pretty much only do have hot dogs outside. Like right? I mentioned, having a hot dog as a struggle meal, like which I haven't had a hot dog as a struggle meal in quite some time. So, um, like, just thinking off the top of my head, the past. However many times I've consumed a hot dog has definitely been out in like an outdoor event. Yeah, I, I don't know what made me think of this. I you just bring up a great point. It's not. Ex- I don't want to say it's exclusively in out like something to eat outside, but I feel like it's best primarily. Yeah, yeah, it's best consumed outdoors. I can agree with you on that. I absolutely can. All right, last one quick. Well, actually, going off that. Um. Feel like going back to the super villain behavior with eating a hot dog in a movie theater. If you eat a slice of pizza and you don't fold it, you're a super villain. I feel like that is the only way to consume pizza. Now, obviously, you could say Folding. Chicago yeah. deep dish or maybe like a Sicilian. Like you're not gonna fold that, obviously. Or maybe if it's like really hot, you got a lot of stuff on it. Maybe you use a knife and fork. Who knows? But I feel like if you're having a plain cheese slice of pizza. The only way to eat it is folded. And if you don't, you're a super villain. Yeah, well, because because if you don't fold it, you're either taking baby bites or, like, you have, a, like, a super jaw where you're able to – no, seriously. You, you, you I could ha- must have a super jaw if you're, gonna be, if you're able to take that big of a bite, open your mouth wide and just take that big of a bite of a pizza unfolded because once you get, you know, t- closer to the crust, obviously it gets wider. Um, but assuming that most people don't have a super jaw, then they are just taking baby bites. So it's like, I wouldn't even say that's like a super villain type type of behavior. That's just like, it's petty. I mean, you've definitely seen it before though. Like somebody like holding a slice of pizza, like at an angle, <laughs> and, like it's going into your, like the, uh, the tip is going into your mouth pause, but like. That's just, that's just sloppy. That's all that is. If you're holding it up at an angle, like, <laughs> At that point, that's like a forty-five degree angle that that you'd be holding yeah. your pizza up at. Um, that's that's just sloppy because then the grease is running down, probably running down your yeah. elbow, your wrist, down your hand, towards your elbow, dripping all over your your mustache and whatnot. Yeah, come on now. Right, a little bit of extended intro here, but we'll take a quick break. When we get back, we're gonna do a fun little draft of craziest NBA stories. All right, coming back, we're gonna do a draft of the craziest NBA stories. Um, Just a little idea we had. So 
I'll be a gentleman. I'll let, I'll let you go first. We're not doing snake style. We'll go back and forth. Okay. Um, I was going to take the first pick anyway because I won our last uh, guess the year game. So <laughs> right, appreciate the, the yeah appreciate the uh, gentlemanly offer, but I will start it off. So I'm going to go. This this isn't necessarily what I believe is the best story, but I, I don't want you to try to steal any of of my picks. So I'll go with I guess a commonly known one. Um, off the bat, I'm going to say when um, Dennis Rodman, when he went on his little 48-hour binge during the NBA Finals, um, which he was granted permission to do. It wasn't even like he just left left the team. Like, this was we, we found out about the story. I don't know if it was um, known prior to the last dance. I hadn't heard about it prior to the last dance. Um, but as Michael Jordan shared, that he, uh, he went on a little 48-hour binge during the 98 finals um, gambling out in Vegas, gambling. God knows I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure drugs were involved women. I believe in that story, somebody had to come to his room and he was, he was in the bed with, with some woman. I don't know if it was his wife or Carmen. Electra, I don't know. I think it was. Okay. Wasn't that his sure wife? It was Carmen Electra. I think they, they were married, married at some yeah. point. And she's super famous too. It was at the time. Yeah. yeah I guess the, the story goes that like, they had Michael Jordan had to go drag him out of the hotel room. Pretty sure. Yes, and I mean on the, on that team, you would look at it like if the the Warriors had to go drag, we'll just say Draymond <laughs> out, out of out of a fucking hotel hotel room because he went on a two day binge during the NBA Finals. Um, it's just an, it's just an insane insane thought, and like obviously, granted, social media wasn't as big then it was almost non-existent so that's what i was gonna say um, how do you think that would be like taken today like would it be uh, would it be like a lot worse yes absolutely you don't think so no it definitely would be like like you said like i don't know if it can't this story like we just found out about it from the last dance like we're too young to know but like maybe in the time at the time like it was a news story but obviously there was no social media so i'm sure it wasn't as big as a news story yeah I, i i just look at it from the standpoint of if that were to have been something that happened today with how heavily covered the NBA is and how obviously yeah. how much of a present social media is. And I can only imagine the memes or just all of the, the funny shit that would have came from it. Um, let I alone mean, the, the fact that they won something. the finals, like almost makes it like whatever, you know what I mean? Even more iconic. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you're going to say like no, no big deal. Well, like it's, it's iconic that the fact that they won, but it's just like, they won the finals. You know what I mean? So it was like, yeah. So yeah, and I mean, according to I think Robin himself, he said like he kind of needed that that little reset and that little break to perform the way he yeah. was able to. Granted, whether or not that was an excuse for him to go out for two days, um, or if he genuinely did need that, who knows? But um, that's just such a a wild story. And again, if that was something that happened today, I can't even imagine like the media storm that would have come about from from that all. So. Uh, I'll take that with my first pick. Uh, right, in the event good. that you also had that on your list as well. Good first pick. It was not going to be my first pick. I have to say. Okay. Um, with my first pick, I'm going to take the famous incident of Gilbert Arenas with the guns in the locker room. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I feel like that's the craziest story in NBA history. 
So I actually know. So it's, I like that you said that because I had a Gilbert Arenas one on mine as well. And I got scared for a second thinking that you somehow would have taken the same thing. But I actually was debating between that and the one that I ended up picking. Uh, so that's actually a very a, a great one. So let me go through it real quick. I found I recently found out more details about the incident um, through some research. So like I, I always remember like hearing this story, like Gilbert Arenas brought guns into the locker room, whatever, whatever, got suspended. But so Karan Butler like wrote a memoir like years back um, where he because he was on the Wizards at the time of the incident. So he kind of okay. like, went into detail of what happened and it was a lot crazier than I ever knew it was. So the fight started, I guess, on the team plane. So it was between Gilbert Arenas and Javaris. I don't know how to pronounce Creighton. it. Creighton. Creighton, too. Creighton. Some shit like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Crittenton or something like that. Crittenton, yeah. Yeah. So it was in 2009. And apparently it was over $1,100 in a card game on a team plane. And the two got in a fight and were like face-to-face, had to be broken up. Apparently Antoine Jameson had to restrain them, broke it up, whatever. And apparently Gilbert Arena said to... Uh, Javaris, I'll see your ass at practice, and you know what I do. That's the direct <laughs> quote from Ron Butler. Javaris replied, what the fuck you mean you know what I do? And then Gilbert said, I play with guns. And Javaris said, well, I play with guns too. <laughs> so apparently, according, this is all according to Ron Butler, which I mean, okay. he knows how true this is, but he was obviously there, so he would know more than anybody else. I have heard Gilbert Arena saw the story as well, and this does kind of align with what I've heard him say. So according to Karan Butler, two days later, Gilbert Arena showed up to practice and he had four guns in the locker room laid out on like his ch- on like a chair. And again, another direct quote from Gilbert. Hey, motherfucker, come pick one. I'm going to shoot you in your ass with one of these. Javera said... Fuck my pee. I'm trying to read from this article, but the, the article just disappeared. But I'll, I remember what it was. So apparently Javaris said something along the lines of like, what do you mean pick one? I got one right here and turned around and had like a loaded gun pointed at Gilbert Arenas. <laughs> so when that happened, apparently everyone like ran out of the locker room. Like everybody was scared. Whoever the coach was at the time, I forgot who it was, was like locked in his office and everything. And Karan Butler like... He had a rough upbringing. He said he wasn't really phased by it because he had seen guns and shootings a lot. Yeah. So, like, he was the only one left in the locker room that was trying to break it up. And, like, he was able to talk Javaris off the ledge and say, like, you don't want to ruin your career, ruin your life doing this, whatever. So, he was able to break it up. But Javaris, I don't know if you know his, what's happened to this guy since. Yes, he was arrested or he's in jail for a murder, I believe, right? Yep. yeah. So, apparently... The person, he murdered a 22-year-old woman who was a mother of four two years after this. But apparently the woman wasn't his intended target. Not that that makes that okay, but it wasn't the intent, his intended target. He was, like, going after someone else, accidentally killed this woman. Um, and had, like, gang affiliation. Apparently he had joined the Crips after he signed with the Lakers. Um, and has, like, a lot of charges on his record and stuff, like... Uh, he was accused of selling multi-kilo quantities of cocaine, several hundred pounds of marijuana. Um, so this is like a real-life criminal and like an actual murder murderer. 
So I feel like if you're capable of murdering someone at some point, then you were probably always capable of murdering someone. So this could have actually ended. Like, I, I never really knew the exact story. Like this actually could have ended in a murder in an NBA locker. Yeah. And just the fact that this actually happened. And this wasn't in like the crack days of the NBA. This was like kind of recently. So just the fact that that happened, I feel like makes it the craziest <laughs> NBA story that I've ever heard. Yeah, I actually didn't know that his gun was loaded because from what I have always heard, at least from Gilbert Arenas, the guns that he had were never even loaded. Um, but I hadn't heard about, yeah, about Crittenton's, Javar's Crittenton, yeah. or his actually having, being loaded. Um, so, you know, that is insane. Of course. Burn, buddy. Gilbert yeah, Arenas should have been a little more careful. He, he's, he's a clown. He's a clown. Oh. Um so I guess that's fair. I can use it. Are you, are you done? I'm done. You can take your second pick. Okay. Here. Yeah, I said, I was going to say this for my last call. I think this is actually just hilarious. But since you just picked Gilbert Arenas, I'll go ahead and use him for my second pick as well. So my story for him was going to be when he threw a $1.5 million party um, for himself to get an uh, all-star bid. All-star starting, <laughs> starting bid. I don't know if I've ever heard this one. So... He was up for negotiations. He was signed with Adidas uh, for a shoe deal. Uh, I think he was maybe at like $200,000, he said, something like that annually. He was trying to push for $2 million. Adidas says they wouldn't have, they weren't going to agree to $2 million annually um, because he wasn't marketable enough and just didn't have enough push behind him. So they gave him a not not necessarily an ultimatum, but they said, um, if you are an all star starter this season, um, we'll go ahead and honor and, and offer you a two million dollar contract uh, or two million annually for however many years. Um, and how he explains that he's looking at the the all star ballots and who is the star who are projected to be the stars at that point, um, and he was not one of them. So you know how Gilbert Arena says his mind is turning and. He's trying to figure out, all right, what can I do to become a starter? <laughs> so he so he decides to put together uh, a party. Um, and in order to do so, he's reaching out to a bunch of promoters and a bunch of hip-hop artists, rappers. I think he said he reached out to like Jay-Z and a bunch of people just trying to see who would be willing to uh, promote it and, and perform um, to get basically like a celebrity list attend a celebrity attendee list um so he ends up i believe getting p diddy uh and then a bunch of other artists who were willing to, to perform those i think he had like lil wayne ti um buster rhymes he had a bunch of people that, that were willing to perform um and then he ended up making it an invite only party um and essentially it was just all celebrities that were, that were invited to the party uh, mind you this is in dc and what he explains like dc wasn't really a popping place so for him to even being able to get these people was like a huge deal to him. And mind you, I said he paid like over a million dollars to, to orchestrate this. Um, and then his idea was when the attendees are coming in, he'll have them fill out uh, an all-star ballot because it's fan <laughs> voting. He'll have them fill out an all-star ballot. Um, and that's what he did. And then he said that in combination with just the buzz that um, the city got, like people got from the party kind of just, he, his, his name was in people's mouths and between people filling out the ballots at the party and then just the buzz from it, 
Uh, he ended up skyrocketing in the all-star votes. I think he said within just a couple of days after the party, he uh, overtook Vince Carter as an all-star starter. Um, and then he goes into his negotiations with Adidas. Um, they agree they'll offer him a $2 million, a $2 million annually. Uh, and he says that he walked out the room thinking that if he kind of stuck him up like that, then they'd be willing to offer him more. And that's exactly what they did. So he was shooting for $2 million. He ended up getting a much higher contract with, with Adidas. Um, and literally all because he was an all-star starter that season. And uh, he hosted that party, which is just a, a crazy idea to come up with. Um, and that's essentially an, inv- an investment because that could have like went horribly for him. Like, I don't know what his contract was at that time, but to spend a 1.5 or how much money he spent uh, to throw a party with the hopes that it'll get you a shoe deal, just the connection, the correlation with that is just insane. But it worked out in his favor. Um, but that's just like a typical Gilbert Arena story. It's like, who, who would think to do some shit like that? The fact that that worked out for him probably made him feel like he was such a fucking genius. <laughs> Easily. But the return on, invest- on on investment is insane. The fact that that actually worked out is just, is what makes it such a crazy NBA story. Yes. The fact that Gilbert Arenas has been involved in two of the top three picks in this draft <laughs> really says a lot. Um, he's a character. He He's, I mean, he's a character. Do you listen to his podcast at all or any of his like interviews or anything like that? I feel like his clips when they pop up from time to time on social media. I've heard him on other podcasts and stuff. I remember the whole, what was he saying about Giannis? I think like two years ago, he was saying Giannis wasn't good. Oh. He was saying something about how Giannis isn't good because he has no bag. Gilbert Reigns is crazy. I remember the he funniest thing, Loki, the funniest thing about him is like him and Nick Young's relationship. <laughs> yes. It's one of the funniest things. <laughs> he like fucks with Nick Young's kids and stuff. Yeah, man. Um, but I also meant to put this little disclaimer out. Any of these picks, we're not trying to like mock anybody or anything like that because I realize a lot of these stories, you know, might have deeper meaning to some people, especially the people involved in it. Like it's probably very sensitive times in their lives, so it's nothing to make a mockery of, but just crazy um, is the way we'll put it. So with my next pick. I'm going to take when Jason Williams murdered somebody. Damn, I was also going to, that was also going to be on my list. Not my, that was uh, one I was considering. Very good pick as well. Jason Williams, St. John's legend. Did he go to St. John's, really? He did, yeah. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure he's in the Hall of Fame, St. John's, actually. But, okay. Anywho. So I believe it was in 2002. Yeah, 2002. So Jason Williams playing for the Nets at the time. He has a, you know, a personal driver. Um, And after a long night of drinking and partying, whatnot, Jason Williams invited his driver back into his into his mansion to kind of like give him a tour of the mansion. Um, And along this tour, Jason Williams decides that he's going to show his driver the shotgun that he has. Uh, and I guess he thought it was unloaded and it accidentally went off while he was showing the guy the gun, the shotgun and it killed the driver. Um, so immediately when that happened, he wiped the gun off and jumped in his pool and asked one of his friends to get rid of his clothes. Um, like I said, like this isn't funny in any way, 
Jason Williams, like, he's had, like, a lot of issues since then with, like, substance abuse and, like, depression and everything. Like, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to murder somebody, especially on accident. Um, So he, like, said that he, like, feels like he's a coward, like, or was a coward at the time because he was trying to, like, run from it or whatever. Um, And it's had, like I said, his deal with a lot of issues since then with, like, coping with that. But, um, let me think here quick. So he was never, he was acquitted of all serious charges at the time. He had to pay $2.75 million to the family of the driver in, uh, in damages. Um, and then I guess the case was brought back up and he, in 2010, he pleaded guilty, was sentenced to five years in prison. Um, so again, not funny, but just absolutely insane. Another one, yeah. like the Dennis and Robin one, like I don't know if you would compare Jason Williams to, but say like I don't know, not even comparing them, but just say like this John Moran stuff. Like say like say like Jaron Jackson or somebody. Say like he like accidentally murdered somebody. Yeah. How, like how would that be covered today? It's just crazy to think about. Like an NBA player, obviously it was an accident. But an NBA player murdered somebody. It's just, it's just insane to think about. I don't really, I didn't really do too much research on like what his career looked like after that. I don't know if he ever played again. I don't think he had a career after that. Oh, um, that happened in two thousand two. I mean, he, I think he did actually. But it's just, I couldn't even imagine what that'd be like to go through for both sides. Like obviously the family of the person and and whatnot. Because obviously you lost your family member, but like it was, I, I don't know. It's just. An absolutely absurd now, story. I wonder why he didn't like why why did it take until 2010 for him to be put up on other charges and I probably should have done better yeah, research yeah. about that. But Okay. But I Yeah, this doesn't add up to me. But you know, that's that's it. That's a super unfortunate unfortunate situation for I mean, obviously himself and the person that was killed. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't wasn't he? They were actually like friends. I know it was his driver, but like, weren't they actually pretty close as well, though? Yeah, I think they were out drinking together like beforehand, and then it's just one of those things. Like, yeah, like you kind of forget about it, but like an NBA player murdered somebody. Yeah, and like the fact that it was like he didn't know it was loaded, and just so both my picks are involving guns so far, but that's my second pick. Okay. Um, yeah, like I said, that was, uh, on mine as well. So mine isn't involving guns, but another similar incident. Uh, but I was going to pick when Paul Pierce was stabbed. That was on my list. 11, 11 times. Was it? That was on my list. But I'll let yeah. You know. Um, yeah. So this happened in the year 2000. Uh, Paul Pierce was out uh, with some teammates uh, and some sort of altercation happened where uh, he had a bottle smashed over his head uh, and then was stabbed 11 times in the face, the neck, and the back. Um, And he had uh, some lung damage and had to have surgery on his, uh, around his lungs. But, uh, you know, to be stabbed 11 times and, only have only be walking away with just needing to have surgery, um, you know, because obviously things could have 
went far worse than that. Could have went uh, left as far as death, his career being over, uh, lifelong disabilities. But the fact that that happened, um, and he didn't even miss any time. He, I guess this happened in the offseason. He came back and played a full 82-game season. He played every single game that year and had his best season up to that point. This is only going to his third year, I believe it was. Um, and he averaged like 25 a game that year, uh, five rebounds. He, I don't know if he was an all-star. I probably should have checked that. But uh, up until that point, up, up, at, up to that point, that was his best season of his career, uh, literally happening after you know a life-threatening situation uh, happened with him. So, And then he obviously went on to have a Hall of Fame career um, won a championship. So if you just think about how much differently things could have turned out um, for not only his NBA career, but like his life in general, his life could have been over. Uh, he still managed to have that successful of a career. Um, and again, he, he, he didn't miss any time. Yeah. That's the craziest part. He of was stabbed it. 11 times and didn't miss any single time, any time the, the next year, he played all 82 games. It makes me think about the conversation we had either last episode or the episode prior, where we were talking about like load management and everything. Like, guys today which i'm not trying to be like like that type of person like saying you got to play every game and whatnot but like guys today are like load managing taking time off just because to save themselves for a long haul rest and whatnot and you know extend their career but paul pierce was literally stabbed 11 times in the head and neck and lungs and played every single game and this was like a month before the season started yes it, it just seems it just seems unreal. Yeah, I, I I don't have it on this report that I just had, but I saw elsewhere where a doctor has said had it been like centimeters closer, um, with one of the stab uh, wounds had it been like centimeters over, like it would have hit an artery and he would have died. Uh, so yeah, just 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 the thought of that is absolutely wild. And again, he had a Hall of Fame career um, that proceeded after that. So. That's a wild story to me. Good pick. It was the, I was going to pick it. Stole it from me. Um, but my third pick, I'm going to pick the incident when Latrell Sprewell choked out PJ Carlissimo. <laughs> I've actually heard of this, but I don't, I'm not even really too familiar with it, but I have heard the story before. Heard so, of the incident. I'm doing some research. Let me read a little bit of the, of what exactly transpired. So apparently, um, during, I guess it, this happened on December 1st of, I'm not sure of the year, but regardless. Uh, Latrell Spiegel was playing for the Warriors at the time. PJ Carlissimo was the coach. And during a practice, uh, Carlissimo criticized Sprewell of like the way he was passing, told him to make crisper passes. And Sprewell didn't really like that too much, apparently, and threatened him. Told him he didn't want to hear it and he better keep his distance. Uh, so PJ, I guess, approached him. And when that happened, Sprewell threw him to the ground and began to choke him out for 10 seconds before a teammate managed to rip him off. And then 20 minutes later, Sprewell came back and punched Carlos Simone in the face. Bro. Apparently. Um, so not fucking insane. So I pulled up there, I found online kind of. Uh, a few quotes from Sprewell from the incident. So apparently he claims that he didn't choke him out and that he doesn't need anger management counseling. 
or this was, you know, at the time of the incident. So direct quote here from Sprewell. I wasn't choking PJ. I mean, PJ, he could breathe. It's not like he was losing air or anything <laughs> like that. I mean, it wasn't a choke. I wasn't trying to kill PJ. If you're choking someone, you don't get scratches. You get welts totally around your neck. It's not like I was going to sit there and kill the man. No, I would have stopped, definitely. Um, so the only question I would have is, if you grab someone around the throat and are on top of them for 10 seconds, and you're not choking them or trying to kill them, what exactly are you doing? As Nick was about to say, he, he wasn't choking him. He just had his hands around, gripped around his neck. Uh, very tightly. That's all it I was. Just, I just feel like it doesn't add up. If you have someone <laughs> on the ground and you're on top of them with your hands around their throat, I feel like that's pretty much the definition of choking. So the fact that he claims he wasn't choking him, I think makes the story even crazier <laughs> and even harder to understand. Um, but yeah, that's my third pick. Latrell Sprewell choking out PJ Carlos Simo. Mind you, we, we have to consider that Sprewell is... Um, the same person reportedly said, turned down like a pretty big contract yep. and said, I have a family to feed. Yeah. That's his excuse for not taking the contract. Um, so yeah, everything doesn't seem to be all the way there. I would say him and Gilbert Arenas are the winners of this, of this draft so far. <laughs> Easily. Easily. So you got one pick left. Okay. Got it. Got it. So for my last pick. I'm going to go with uh, something that was pretty significant at the time and still pretty crazy to this day, I would say. I feel like you're going to take my pick right here. I'm going to go with the malice at the palace. <laughs> yeah, he took one. Yeah, he took two of mine. <laughs> the malice at the palace. Um, so I think that's probably that's probably one of the most known NBA stories. Um, but in the year i couldn't even come up with the year but uh pistons versus pacers um late game ben wallace is fouled by uh ron artest and shoves him a little scuffle breaks out i feel like the only um, way this segment could end would be to pull ron artest into it somehow we got gilbert we got oh, yeah, we have to. It we gotta bring all sense. the crazies in we had to bring all the crazies in um but ironically, this started with Ron Artest being pretty tame. He was calm and composed. He's laying <laughs> he on the scores. He did not end that way. He's laying on the scores table. And uh, from the crowd, a, a cup of beer gets thrown at him. Um, and all hell breaks loose from there. He runs into the crowd. Uh, is fighting somebody that wasn't, we find out, wasn't even the person that uh, <laughs> threw the beer at him. Um, so an innocent person is being attacked by Ron Artest. And if you consider this man is a six, seven, six, eight professional athlete going up against an average Joe in the, in the stands, you can only imagine how bad that could have gotten. Um, granted, the situation got, situation got pretty bad where other teammates are then in the crowd um, attacking fans as well and trying to defend Artest. And then fans are breaking out onto the, leaking out onto the court. And um, I think the crazy, the craziest one that I, so this is, in my opinion, is when the fan was on the court uh, approaching Jermaine O'Neal. Yep. And Jermaine O'Neal is running full force at him. <laughs> slips, which we can almost say, thank God the man slipped. Um, but hit him square in the jaw, knocks due to the ground. Um, but that was just such a, obviously, like a chaotic moment. And 
I know that stuff like this happens in like soccer internationally, where fans get rowdy, yeah. fans are on the field, and players are inside the fans with are inside the stands with the fans, and shit like that happens. But like for that to happen in an NBA game, um, it, it is just crazy. And I think that like the NBA was kind of going through an identity crisis at that time as well. I think we're like post a lot of players, LeBron. Yeah. Well, no, I think that this was a. Uh, I think this, this was, was like 04 or something. Like it was okay, LeBron's so maybe LeBron, second LeBron's year. Rookie so season. It was like before LeBron stardom, and it was kind of like the Allen Iverson peak where he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like David Stern didn't necessarily love him and his image. And then, like, yep, the and Kobe, that's, the, yeah, that's the point Kobe I was trying to, I was go with. Stuff like that. Exactly. There was a little bit of an image with the, <laughs> with the league where, um, I mean, predominantly black league, but a lot of the players are looked at as like thugs in a sense. And that whole yeah. situation obviously didn't help, help the cause. Um, but again, I look at that as something where it's almost better that it happened at that time, because again, social media, um, wasn't as big as it, as it was, um, then as it is now. So I'm trying to say, um, but yeah, like I can only imagine if, if it, the, the, the reaction of people on social media, um, if that were to happen today. And then something I was thinking of, do you actually, do you know the guy who does like, uh, his name is John boy. He does yeah, like course, yeah. breakdowns. I can only yeah. imagine. I would, I would want to see like, if he did a reaction, like a breakdown of that incident. Cause he like he, finds the most random things ever. He does like the lip reading shit. If he could yes, yes, yes. what the hell is going on. He, he has like the, he finds like the most random things in, in an altercation or, uh, you know, in a video to point out. And I couldn't, I would want to see like a breakdown of, of that. Um, if that were to happen today, like a breakdown that he would do of that incident, I think that would be hilarious. But yeah, that, that, that that's a wild incident. And obviously the penalties of Ron Trust was suspended the rest of the season. Um, and I think the under less spoken about thing about that was like the Pacers, they were in the finals that year before. Um, yeah. And they had, I think and, they had the best record at the time. Yeah. And that just like their season went down the drain at that point. And that was like Reggie Miller's last season. Uh, that was yeah, kind of his Ron last attempt to get a championship. He averaged like 25 points a game up to that point. Oh, yeah. Like the best yeah. defender in the league, too. Like he could have been like yeah. an MVP. An all star. Exactly yeah. that. Yep. Jermaine O'Neal, he kind of yeah. broke out once he came to, to Indiana. Um, yeah. And. Again, his season. I don't know if he got suspended the entire season as well, but I think he um, got 15 games. I think like okay. Chess got the full season. I think Stephen Jackson got like Jackson. five games or something like that. Yeah, and then Jermaine O'Neal got like 15. Quick, one quick thing about Jermaine O'Neal. I read like like there was like three eyewitness accounts. I think that said that the guy would have died if Jermaine O'Neal didn't slip and fall. Didn't slip. Like if he hit him at full speed like that, the guy probably would have died. But according to Jermaine O'Neal, like the guy, that guy was like an infamous like fan that had like had like on record said that he wanted to fight an NBA player because he wanted to like file a lawsuit and get paid. Yes. So he the guy came when they had this had a bunch of assault cases that came up and uh, they ended up going to not trial, but they were in court over uh, over that. And this dude walks in with a neck brace on and uh, he didn't. He, he didn't win the lawsuit. Uh, what was it? Do you remember the guy in SpongeBob that has like the. I, that, bro, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. Yes. Uh, 
Nah, the judge wasn't buying it though, and they ended up getting dismissed. But um, and then ironically enough, if I remember hearing this correctly, Ron Artest and the guy who threw the beer initially are like buddies now. Which I, I think it. I think that had pissed off. I had, have you seen the uh, little series they had? Not even a series, but it was on Netflix. The Netflix special. Yeah, and I, I think they were watched it or not. Yeah, I remember hearing when I watched it, uh, Jermaine O'Neal spoke about how that kind of rubbed him the wrong way because, um, or maybe it was Stephen Jackson who I said it. You know, him and him and you know the teammates they came to the defense around our test um, and sacrificed a lot, and they speak about where Jermaine O'Neal at least speaks about like how his career could have been very different had that incident not happened, um, and then for all that chaos to happen, and then you're friends with this guy afterwards, or maybe not friends but buddy buddy with him <laughs> afterwards. Um, it, it rubbed him the wrong way, but um, understandably so. I get that. Yeah, see, so yeah, for real, because Jermaine O'Neal was nice. Yeah, um, and I mean, I, I don't know if he had like injuries. I I don't really know what happened, but he he from his side, like he was viewed, he was viewed um, throughout the league much differently after that after that event. And he thinks his career would have been um much different had that whole situation not happen but unfortunate situation i guess from his part uh, everybody that's involved it's it's a wild story though looking back on these stories like it is crazy that like like the nba has a, such a good image today i feel like that it's just it's crazy they went through all these things and even more things and like i just couldn't imagine any of this stuff happening today even though like obviously the news cycles so like it turns over so quickly people would get over it but I feel like the closest thing that I've ever seen to this, like you said, like in European soccer and stuff, I'm sure it happens. But you remember when Habib and Conor McGregor fought last? I think it was like 2018, 2017, maybe. 2018. Yeah. What happened? Habib choked out. McGregor got him to tap. And then it was a little bit different because, like, I don't think there was any fans involved. But, like, Habib went crazy because, like, somebody in Conor's, like, team, like his circle, who were sitting, like, ringside – like said something crazy to him and yeah. like he like jumped over the gate and it turned yes. into this massive brawl. And yes, I think yes, that, yes, like, yes. you see it from time to time in boxing matches where there's like kind of like little, like, you know, little brawls and stuff in the ring between teams. But I think like, I remember Habib's brother like came at Connor and like punched him in the, like, I think he came and punched him in the back of the head or something. Like it was a huge brawl. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's a little different because there's a fight in a sport that is fighting. Where the NBA, like, it's just, I feel like any professional athlete going into a crowd like that is just the recipe for disaster. And it's pretty much a telltale sign that something horrible is about to happen. Yeah, no, it was an ugly, it was an ugly situation that really could have been much worse than what it actually was. Oh, definitely. Like you said, though, it's like a weird time for the league. But, um, yeah. But my last pick here. I don't have too deep of a backstory about it. Just like something just like kind of crazy um, is when Contavious Caldwell Polk played with an ankle <laughs> monitor on. Um, so apparently he had like got pulled over and was like, um, like the cops were like suspicious that he was like drinking and driving or driving under the influence. And it was never like found that he was. Um, 
So he was he was driving seventy in a twenty five mile per hour zone. Uh, what a fucking and idiot! The charges were dropped, but he was still found guilty uh, of permitting someone to drive under the influence. So I guess somebody else was driving or something. I'm not really sure of the details, but so he had like he was supposed to be getting like drug tested and had like a few court dates and stuff, and was like skipping everything and like I guess not taking it serious. He was like refusing drug tests and not showing up to any of his court dates. So. He had to serve, like, I think it was 25 days. Yeah, 25 days house arrest and 12-month probation. He was to work, though. Yeah, so he was basically, <laughs> like, on work release. So, like, he was only allowed to play. He was on the Lakers at the time. He was only allowed to play games that were played in the state of California. But he had to play with an ankle monitor on. And I just feel like it, it's just the, the fact that an NBA player played a game, played multiple games, with an ankle monitor on, it's just an insane story. So I'll, I'll wrap up my draft with that pick. <laughs> um, but with that being said, we'll, we'll go through the picks real quick. So, Miles, you had Dennis Rodman's hiatus and going to Vegas during the finals. Gilbert Arena's party to uh, get him into the All-Star game. The Paul Pierce stabbing. Um, and then the Malice of the Palace. My four so, picks. Um where the Gilbert Arenas gun incident in the locker room, the Jason Williams murder, the Latrell Sprewell choking out of PJ Carlosimo, and the KCP playing with an ankle monitor in an NBA game. Um, so that was our craziest NBA stories draft. Um, with that being said, we'll take we'll take a quick break. When we get back, we wanna we wanna talk about some of our favorite players from the dark days of our of our teams. But um, <laughs> you'll hear that when we get back. We'll take a quick break. All right, coming back here. This is a good idea that Miles had. So Miles was a Sixers fan. I'm a Knicks fan. And everybody that follows the NBA knows that we have both had some dark, dark days and dark, dark years in our fandom, to say the least. Um, so if, we both figured it'd be something fun to do to kind of go through our three favorite players from our team's rebuild years, which is for quite a bit of time. Um, so I'll start here with the Knicks. I have a couple honorable mentions I wanted to say first, just two real quick. Number one being Ron Baker. I don't know if you remember him, played at Wichita State. Of course I do. I don't want to say he was the he was the uh the uh Austin Reeves before Austin Reeves because he was never that good. But he just kinda has the same vibe to him. Austin Reeves played at Wichita State too before he transferred to Oklahoma. So like Did he? maybe it's that. that. Um, but Ron Baker, never really a great NBA player, but just somebody that was on the Knicks for some dark days. I'll never forget Anthony Davis basically killed him in a game once by dunking on him, and he kind of like basically <laughs> like elbowed him in the throat or something. It just looked really bad. And then and that was the last second, of uh, Ron Baker. It honestly might have been the last game he ever played. <laughs> and then my second honorable mention had to shout him out, uh, Kuzminskis. Um, I might watch his first name, Mendelgus Kuzminskis. But he was the original Kuz before Kuzma. Uh, Lithuanian NBA player. Was only on the Knicks for a season um, in which he averaged six points. But just a guy that I just could never believe was actually on the Knicks or even in the NBA. But like I said, had some good moments. Um, and it was the original Kuz before Kuzma. But without further ado, my first, my favorite player and take the word favorite with a grain of salt here because I absolutely hated the Knicks for every single second of all three of these players' times. 
So take favor with a grain of salt because I probably actually despise them as players, not as people. Um, so my first pick's got to be Lance Thomas. So that was your captain. guy. That he was, was your yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> he was on the Knicks for some dark years. We'll go through it quickly here. He was the captain of the Knicks. Um, wow. So he's, he's from Brooklyn. He went to high school in Newark. Um, so, you know, local guy. He played with the Knicks for, let me see here, one, two, three, four, five seasons. Was probably the longest tenured Nick for a lot of those years. Um, like I said, was the captain. First career, he averaged five points, two point six rebounds, and 0.7 assists. His best year with the Knicks was in 2015-16, where he averaged eight point two points a game. Um, like I said, he was the captain. And kind of diving deep into Lance Thomas before doing some research for this segment. No offense to him, like obviously he's a better basketball player than ninety five percent of people could ever imagine being, and like had you know I think he played eight years in the league. He played at Duke, like he was a McDonald's All American and everything. He was a captain at Duke too. But for somebody that played such high level basketball for such a long time and was a captain of Duke and the New York Knicks, he had one of the most like average like I'm not gonna say careers. I'm gonna say stat lines like. He had the most like subpar average stat lines at every level of basketball for like anyone <laughs> that I could ever imagine playing for such a long time at such a high level. So not to dive too deep into it, but his senior year. So like you always see this crazy shit, like NBA players, like averaging like Pat Bev averaged like 35 a game in high school. Like, right. NBA players, they're fucking just like unbelievable basketball players, obviously. His senior year, he averaged 14.5 points and 6.5 rebounds, which is good, but, like, there's a lot of guys that do that. It's not Obviously, he's playing at a higher level high school than most people, but I just feel like 14.5 points and 6.5 rebounds is not, like, absurd. Um, granted, he was a McDonald's All-American, and he did go to Duke, but I just feel like those numbers aren't, like, insane. Um, and then when he got to college... His freshman year at Duke, he averaged four points. His sophomore year, he averaged 4.3 points. His junior year, he averaged 5.3. And his senior year, he averaged 4.8 points and 4.9 rebounds. So he never averaged more than five points a game in college. So he averaged 14 his senior year in high school. He averaged, you know, four and a half a game through college. And then in the NBA, averaged eight points a game for his career. So for someone to play eight years in the NBA... And he averaged five points a game, sorry, in the NBA. So for someone to play eight years in the NBA, four years at Duke, and was a McDonald's All-American and averaged no more than five points a game for all of college and high school, it just it's really crazy to think about. I don't know, maybe I'm overreacting to it because like, I'm not trying to say he's bad. Like, obviously, he's a much higher level player than 95% of humans, but it's just something crazy I, I never even realized. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. I mean, I didn't I didn't know his I didn't know his stat line like that either. Um, I think that more goes to show his leadership. Maybe it, it's honestly more impressive than like I'm kind of more impressed by that than if he had averaged 37 a game in high school and 20 points a game at Duke. Like the fact that he was able to be that great of a leader and like glue guy. Yeah, that he lasted that long and was a captain at Duke and in the NBA. Like it's it's honestly more impressive that he was able to stick that around. Nah, for sure. He's like the, he's like the OG Udonis Haslam. Like he's been doing it for a minute. So 
do you know is he still playing like overseas somewhere? No, nah, he's done now. Done. Yeah. He's done enough for himself. For um, sure. Yeah. For again, I'm I'm kind of with you. I don't know if I can necessarily say my favorite. Um, <laughs> but I did like this guy a lot. Um, all my all my three players are during like the the process era of the Sixers. Um, so my first my, my first guy I'm going to go with is Tony Roten. Tony Roten, uh, he played for the Sixers for three seasons. I can't even say three seasons. Two, two seasons, and the third season cut short because of a uh, an ACL injury. Um, but I know Tony Roten was like that guy throughout um, in that in the Washington area, Seattle area, um, in high great, school, great or area in college. It, it is yes. I would say up and coming, but they've kind of been producing guys for. A long time now. Underrated. underrated, I'll say that. Underrated is is the right word. Um, yeah, and Tony Tony Roten is one of those guys. So uh, his first year with the Sixers was the 2013-2014 year. Um, he averaged thirteen, uh, three assists. He 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 was kind of just thrown thrown into the lineup because he was, I guess, their best guard at that time. Um, the thing that I enjoy most about Tony Roten's game is the dude couldn't shoot, couldn't shoot a lick. He he couldn't shoot at all. Um, but he could well, get familiar to the with that as a Sixers fan. Between Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz, <laughs> a lot of not oh, oh, too, oh, too familiar. Um, but again, like he was just an exciting player to watch. Um, he was always good for a highlighted game, and obviously, when you're watching a bunch of I can't even say subpar basketball when you're watching a bunch of abysmal basketball. That's a nice big word to use. Um, you're looking for just little flashes of of entertainment, and he was always due to provide that um, throughout the game. Um, a fucking turnover machine. So not 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 really a true point guard. Um, I think he averaged just about the same number of turnovers as he did assist. Again, I like I said he couldn't shoot, but he could get to the basket. And he was always good on putting pressure on the on the defense and the paint. And he was just fun to watch. He was an exciting player, energy guy, hustle guy. Um, his best season with the Sixers was definitely his second season. Uh, he had averaged seventeen, five assists, two steals. Um, but but again, he's he wasn't a guy that was going to stick in the league without one developing a jump shot. Um, and again, he wasn't an efficient scorer at all, despite putting up 17 a game. He shot 40 percent that year, 26 percent from three, um, and that 17 point point a game season. Um, but no, I, I just I just liked him for for his energy and uh, again, he provided those those highlights that you needed when you're watching uh, a bunch of fucking bums. Respectfully, <laughs> take take the court night in and night out. So yeah. I like I like Tony Roten a lot, and I mean his career was cut short because of the ACL injury. I know that's that he hasn't been in the league since then, and I actually just seeing now he that was his um his fourth season, and he was only twenty two years old, and his career was done after that. Um, if he was able to develop a jump shot, would he have had a place with the Sixers? Who's to say? But I appreciate those two years and eight games he provided um, for me, for the 14-year-old me watching <laughs> watching that miserable team. So my next favorite player, 
I actually really like this guy. Um, do you remember Pablo Prigioni? I'm sorry, say it again. Do you remember Pablo Prigioni? Yes, I do. Ultimate so, point guard. He's going to be the second player I talk about here. So, Pablo Prigioni played two seasons with the Knicks, two and a half seasons with the Knicks, uh, from 2012 to 2015. Um, I believe, I don't know if it's still true, but at the time, I remember he was the oldest rookie in NBA history. Oldest rookie. Yep. So, so he came into the league at 20, in 2012, 2013, he was 35 years old. So over the course of two and a half seasons with the Knicks, uh, he played in 187 games. He averaged 3.9 points and three assists a game. Um, I just, he just always stood out as like a small, I'm trying to think who I keep like comparing to. Like he was always like a small scrappy guy could handle the ball was good yeah. passer, like super IQ guy. Um, just like, you know, hard worker type guy. And like I said, I always remember him as being the oldest rookie. And he's an Argentinian, so he's he's like, you know, he played on those legendary Argentinian national teams with like Manu Ginobili, Luis Scola. Um, so he kind of – he had a short stint in the NBA. He was one of those guys that came over late but has like a decorated national team career. He's like a legend yeah. in Argentina. Uh, he played a little bit with the Clippers and the Rockets after the Knicks, but not a super long NBA career. I think he played five seasons. Like I said, came in late. Um, and since then, he's gotten his coaching. Uh, so he coached like in Europe, in the Euro League. Uh, in 2018, he coached with the Nets as an assistant coach. He coached with the – he's a current coach of the Timberwolves since 2019. Really? Okay. Yep. Um uh, and then since as of last year, he was hired as the head coach of the Argentinian men's national team. But, I mean, he is the type of guy that I would think at the time of being a player, he's just one of those guys that you know is going to be a coach. Like a, a point guard that has high IQ, gets his teammates involved, and can kind of – I feel like that's like the typical – I mean, I, I don't want to say like it's like – well, we'll start with this. Like I feel like – a lot of good point guards can become good head coaches. You know, the I'll say Prigioni like became a head coach. The Jason Kids of the world, the Steve Nash had Steve Nash. as the coach. Like we'll see if he gets Chauncey Billups. Yep, Doc Rivers, um, Derek Fisher is probably the worst, one of the worst coaches in NBA history. <laughs> but that type of guy. Um, so you could just kind of see the writing on the wall that he was going to be a coach. But I mean, he uh, Prigioni was on that Knicks team. They went to the second round. That was probably before this year, the best Knicks team that I'd ever seen in my life. So, like, hard to say, like, the dark days. But he was just, like, one of those random Knicks that I'll yeah. always remember. Um, just seemed like a great guy. And now it's down the coaching career path. So, you know, I like Prigioni. Did uh, – he reminds me of Sergio Rodriguez. Did he ever play okay. for the Knicks? Yeah, yeah. He played for yeah. He was on the Sixers yeah. too. I like I like that guy with the Sixers. He was again an older guy that came over as a rookie. Yep. I don't think he was nearly as old as uh, Prigioni was, but <laughs> he reminded me of him. Um, and he would have been on my list. Um, but I have a couple guys that I, I enjoy better than uh, than Sir Sergio. Um, so my next is uh, a guy by the name of KJ McDaniel's. Do you remember him? I remember the name. I can't put a face to it though. He uh, came from Clemson, drafted by the Sixers from Clemson. I think he may have been a second round pick. Um, and truthfully, like I thought he had a pretty promising 
future with the Sixers. His rookie season, uh, granted, again, we could talk about inflated numbers because the team was horrible, but uh, he averaged nine points, um, four rebounds, about an assist. Uh, but he was just a super athletic and I think versatile guy who uh, you would look for for like three and D potential. Um, he shot about 30% from three his rookie season. So the three point, the three point shot wasn't really there, but um, I just remember him being, as being a super athletic guy. And I guess similar to Tony Roten, he wasn't a primary ball handler, primary ball handler. Um, Medina's played more off ball, but he was also another guy that was always good for a highlight. Maybe not every game, but every so often he was good for a highlight. Um, and I swear, I was I was trying the for the longest to try to find this video, which I could not do. And if anybody can find it, please send it <laughs> our way. It's a video of uh, an alley oop to oh no, I'm not an alley oop. I'm sorry, a putback dunk on Jared Bayless. You know Jared Bayless. He always wears a headband, bald head. Um, He's like, the, he's like the squash down version of Jared Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> That's spot on, my friend. <laughs> that ass. Um, he's under the basket. Cajun McDaniels goes up for a putback dunk on top of Jared on on top of Jared Bayless. Wait, was this when Jared I, Bayless was on the Sixers? No, 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 no. no, oh, okay, no. I, was gonna say I think I was he gonna may say. have been on the Bucks at this time, if I can envision everything correctly. McDaniels goes up for a putback dunk on Jared Bayless under the rim. Dunks on him, knocks Jared Bayless down. Jared Bayless gets up and is like his headband is like on now like like a 45 degree angle. He dunked on him so hard, knocked his headband down her off his head. <laughs> and and all obviously all the sixers are like all hyped about it. And like just Jared Bayless is looking baffled, like what the fuck just happened? Um But yeah, no, that's 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 my ultimate uh KJ McDaniels highlight and I, I can't find it for the life of me. I was searching for so long trying to find the video. So, again, if anybody can find it, please, please send it. Um, quick yeah, aside, yeah. real quick. What do you, uh-huh. off the top of your head, out of all the dark years, the process years and everything, can you think of one moment that was like the single darkest moment of that Sixers run or of your Sixers fandom? The single darkest moment? I have one on I top would of my say, head. I mean, I can't think of a single moment, but it would just have to be the season where they won 10 games. That's pretty good. Were they 10-72? I think uh, the, sing- the single moment that I think of for the Sixers is that game where they played the Clippers, where it was basically like a glorified like Harlem Globetrotters game. It was like Blake Griffin. Oh, my goodness. Had like caught like a – I think Jamal Crawford like threw him like an in-between-the-legs alley-oop and he windmilled it, and then like the very next play he <laughs> caught like a – he like he like East Bay or something on the fast break, and like I think that I'm not even kidding. I think the score in the first quarter was like <laughs> it was like 45 to 12 or something like that. Like it was absolutely absurd. I'll always remember that as like the darkest moment I remember. Yeah, give me a PTSD right there. Yeah, it's I didn't remember. But <laughs> since since you mentioned that, one thing I could think of because uh, if those don't know, um. Sixers fans weren't too fond of Iguodala once he left the Sixers because he was really looked at to be like that guy, that star player, which he wasn't. Um, we tried to force him into that into that role, but obviously he excelled as a as like a, a role player with the Warriors. Obviously, yeah. um, even with Denver, he he was he played really well, um, not as a number one, 
uh, and what the Sixers wanted him to be. So when he departed and he was traded, the Sixers fans weren't really too fond of him. Um, but their his first, I don't know if it was his first time coming back to Philly when he was with the Warriors. Um, but he's in the corner. I don't know who throws in the pass in the corner. It's like a pretty errant pass, but to go out of bounds, Iguodala basically, I, I, I can't even say it was really a save, but he's like tiptoes the sideline. Like he's catching a ball and football, uh, catching a pass in football, jumps, whips it behind his back baseline to whoever's, whoever's underneath the basket for a dunk. And it's like, it's, it's, like, it's like a true highlight reel, but we're looking at that and it's like, like where was this when you were with us? And I, I, yeah. I remember that. I remember watching that game like pretty distinctly, and that was another like pretty lopsided score at that point. It was pretty early in the game still, but it was already getting out of hand. And like you see a highlight like that from a guy who used to be in your team that you can't stand. And I've now grown to like Iguodala, but when he left, I, I couldn't stand him just because again he wasn't what we wanted him to be. Um, so yeah, I can say maybe that's probably my darkest darkest moment of uh, those process years seeing Iguodala excel while we were still you know, down the dumps, but frustrating to say the least. Absolutely. Um, so my third player, a guy I really like to this day, is Kyle O'Quinn. Remember Kyle O'Quinn? Also was he on the Sixers, Sixers yeah. too? Yeah. He was, yeah. yeah. Oh, so he spent three seasons on the Knicks in which he averaged six points and 5.2 rebounds. He was like always the – uh, you know, like the big enforcer type guy uh, during those dark days of the Knicks. Um, I always liked him as like an energy rebounder, shot blocker off the bench. Um, so kind of diving. The floor. Exactly. So kind of diving a little deeper into Kyle O'Quinn here. Um, so he's a New York guy, local guy. He's from uh, Jamaica, Queens, which we have a lot of familiarity with. I know with. that, yeah. Um, but so he... His first two years of high school, he played JV basketball and didn't really play much. Um, and then he transferred for football to a different high school. Um, and he still continued to play basketball, but like he didn't really play much. He was on varsity as a junior, didn't play, didn't really get any burn. And then his senior year, he averaged 20 points, 12 rebounds, and three blocks. And he got one scholarship offer to North uh, North State. State. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know how I remember that. Yep. And he, uh, so like I said, he had been like a football player. He always wanted to play football. Didn't really, wasn't really huge into basketball until his senior year. Never really got any burn. Had been to two high schools. Um, but ended up having a really good college career if you look at it. So. His his freshman year was he wasn't great. His senior his sophomore year got better. His junior year he averaged sixteen point four points, eleven point one rebounds, and three point four blocks a game, um, and broke the conference record for block shots in a season and rebounds mm-hmm. in a season. So kind of like really started to you know catch on and really have like a good college career. His senior year he averaged fifteen point nine, ten point three rebounds, and two point six nine blocks a game. And uh, led Norfolk State to their first ever NCAA tournament in which they beat, as a 15 seed, they beat the number two seed, uh, Missouri, that year. And in that game, wow. he, had 20, he had 26 points and 14 rebounds um, and ended up getting drafted. So 
Good story, local kid, makes it to, he wasn't drafted by the Knicks, but ended up playing in the NBA. He's a guy that kind of caught on later on, went to a super small school. I think it's HBCU, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Norfolk is a HBCU. As a 15 seed, won a tournament game and had 26 and 14. So a guy I always liked, unfortunate that he was on the Knicks for some shitty years and, you know, wasn't the best <laughs> NBA player, but he's kind of like a – trying to think of a comp like he's kind of like a, he's like a walmart montrez harrell type guy maybe like just like a super energy good defensive big guy kind of stretch yeah yeah um, i think we could probably find a better comparison in that but yeah so who's your right. your final favorite player during the dark last, this this guy I probably can say is my favorite uh save him for last it also might be kind of cheating because he is still in the league now and Unfortunately, not on the Sixers anymore, but um, I think still pretty productive. Uh, but TJ McConnell okay. used to try to used to try to say TJ McConnell's what Ron Baker could be, um, <laughs> which we obviously know was not the case at all. Um, oh, TJ McConnell, but yeah, no, TJ McConnell is like if 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 I were fortunate enough to be an NBA player, aside from being like a superstar, if I could have an NBA career. It'd be like a TJ McConnell type of type of career. He, uh, I just feel like he 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 plays to his strengths. He he produces what you expect out, expect out of a, a backup point guard. He's gonna get he's gonna get it done for you. He doesn't make too many mistakes. Plays to his strengths. Would um, you say he's the American Prigioni? <laughs> one might say Prigioni was a was a pretty good. Uh, you know, playmaker, like a true point guard. And I, don't, I don't know. D. Huh? And McConnell's yeah. a better defender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's he's a bit more uh, grit and grime, I guess uh, you could say. He does all the hustle plays. This is, this just does all the right things. Um, and, I mean, he was on the Sixers during the low times, and then when they actually started making, uh, you know, some playoff pushes, he was on the teams then. Um, I know he had – he had a triple double for the Sixers before. And he, he my, I think my favorite thing with McConnell, he uh, he used to like to sneak around in the backcourt, um, off like an inbound or like off like a miss, just linger around the backcourt for a lazy pass. I, I can't even begin to tell you the number of times he uh, would get cheap baskets like that. But just like a, a heady guy, um, and I'm pretty sure McConnell was coached by his father. Uh, in high school, and <laughs> you and I, like, I remember we used to, when we were back at St. John's, we used to like always joke about like being in Tefner and like seeing a guy playing. Like, yeah, he was definitely coached by his dad. Like, yeah. had had I not known McConnell was coached by his father, which I'm pretty sure he was, he 100 percent is a guy who I would have said, yeah, that he was definitely coached by by his dad. Had I not known um, beforehand already, but like, just like super fundamental, he does all the right things. Um, I guess his biggest weakness is his size, and he's not really a great shooter. But, again, despite all that, he plays to his strengths and obviously, like, a super good locker room guy. Like, I know um, Sixers teammates, like, when he was traded. I don't know if he – I remember if he was traded or if he had just signed uh, with the Pacers in free agency. But, like, a lot of guys were disappointed to see him go just because great locker room guy. Um, There's somebody like you want to have on your team. Like, I don't know how old he is, but I can imagine even if he isn't necessarily producing on the court, he'll still have a long NBA career as being that locker room guy or somebody on the bench that that's just that vet, um, you know, that voice that you'll need to have on your team. So T 
TJ McConnell, definitely my favorite, my favorite sixer during that, those process years and those rebuild years. And I'm glad that he's still in the league for sure. TJ McConnell, excuse me, is the epitome of like the guy you love playing with or love when he's on your team, but hate to play against or watch play against your team. Absolutely. Um, But always good to reminisce on some of the dark days. Obviously, we're still not exactly where we want to be as fans of these teams, but in a much better position now, to say the least. Um, but that being said, we'll take we'll take one more break and then wrap up with the guest of the year. All right. So to wrap up here, we're back with the guest of the year game. Um, so we came up with a point system. Miles beat me last week. So the way the point uh, breakdown is going to be is so obviously you get three hints and three guesses. Um, so if you get it after one hint, it's worth three points. If you get it after two hints, it's worth two. And after three hints, it's worth one. Um, if you get it on your first guess, it's worth an additional three points. If you get it after your second guess, it's two points or on your third guess, it's one point. So say you get one hint and guess after your first hint and get it right. That's worth six points. Um, but if you guess before you're given the third hint and it's wrong, then that's minus one point. And then. If you you get one point for every guess before the other player, um, I don't know how to word that right. I didn't word that great. But say Miles gets it on the first guess, I get it on the second. Since he guessed one guess before me, he would get an additional point. So last week, I guessed on my first guess after three hints. So for I would get one point for three hints, three points for first guess. So four total points. Last week you got you got it on your first guess, so that's worth three points. But after only two hints, so that's two points, and then you were and but we guessed on the same guess. So you beat me five to four last week. Understood. Simple enough. Understood. Uh, since you won last week, I'll let you go first this week. So I got again, just to reiterate, you get one MLB, one NFL, one NBA hint. Um, to guess what year that I have here. So I'll let you pick. Do you want your MLB, your NBA, or your NFL hint first? I'll go. Uh, I'll go uh, NBA. NBA. So, in this year's NBA draft, the Seattle SuperSonics had the thirteenth pick, in which they selected Corey Maggette. Okay. Let me go. Uh... A second hint. MLB or NFL? Uh, my bad. Um, NFL. In this year's Super Bowl, the Denver Broncos were crowned champions. Okay. I'm going to... I'm going to make a guess. Okay. I believe the year is 1999. Fuck. Yeah, you got it. Come on now. All right, so two hints and first guess is five points. Okay. I got to beat that. I like that. That, 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 uh, Maggetti, I was thinking like 2001, 2000. (laughs) And then you said Broncos, I immediately thought Elway. And I don't think Elway played into the 2000s. Like, all right, 99, it must be. What was that? was last year. What was it? MLB hint I was going to give. I'm glad you asked because I would have forgot. 
was that Pedro Martinez won the All-Star Game MVP that year. Oh, yeah, that would have done nothing for me. Well, listen to how impressive this is. So he won uh, the All-Star Game MVP. He started the game. He pitched two innings. And listen to this. He struck out the first five batters of the game. So in two innings, he got six outs. Six up, six down. First five outs were all strikeouts. This is who he struck out. First inning, he struck out Barry Larkin, who's a Hall of Famer. Second batter, yep. Larry Walker, Hall of Famer. Third batter, Sammy Sosa, who's not a Hall of Famer, but you know the story. So struck out two Hall of Famers in the third that should be, you know, whatever, how you feel about the steroid thing, but three all-time players in the first inning. Second inning, he struck out Mark McGuire, who, again, isn't a Hall of Famer, but you know the story. And then Jeff Bagwell, who's a Hall of Famer. So at the first five outs were all strikeouts against three Hall of Famers and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. Pedro was a beast. This is fucking absurd. Until he stepped in Yankee Stadium. He was a beast oh, otherwise. Janky for his daddies. But, <laughs> um, all right, so five right, points man. for you. I'm subtly nice at this. Subtle, <laughs> subtle. All right. Um, all right, I'll give you the same options then uh, as far as choice. So which one do you want first? I think I know the NBA the most, so give me the NBA. So this season's, this year's uh, NBA three-point champion was Daquan Cook. Three-point contest champion? Or yes. like Three, yeah, three-point contest champion. Daquan Cook. All right, give me that will be hint. This season's. All-Star Game MVP was Carl Crawford. Fuck. I think we got him, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, I think so we got him. I'm going to have to guess here because that's my only chance. But if I get it wrong, then I'm going to lose a point. Two thousand and eleven. All right, give me the NFL. You're a bit off. What the NFL hint? Yeah. You get three guesses, so I still have two. Yeah, yeah. Now you get three guesses. Um, This season, the worst team in the NFL was the St. Louis Rams with a record of one and fifteen. Two thousand nine. You got it. Two thousand nine. So you got five points. It was my second guess after three hints, so that's three points. But I guessed wrong, so two. You beat me five to two. Well, actually, no, because you also got it on your first guess. So you beat me six to two. Fuck. All right, you're killing me on the leaderboard right now. I thought I, I thought this one was a little tough, but I guess I'm going to have to make it a little tougher next week. Um, but congrats on winning against the year, second straight week. Just to wrap up here, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, again, thank you for tuning in and listening. We gained some followers on Apple Podcasts, which we'd love to see. Continue to follow the show. Um, rate and review if you could. Follow us on Instagram um, at the Catch Podcast one is the handle. Um, and again, the mailbag. If you could send in any... You know, we want to get some listener engagement here. So if you have any questions or anything you want us to talk about on the show or 
any comments, anything you want us to check out in general, whatever it is, we'll shout you out. Um, the email for that is at the catch show one at gmail.com, the catch show one at gmail.com. So, you know, trying to get some engagement here, trying to grow the pod. I think we're at 76 followers on Instagram now. Like I mentioned last week, we're trying to get to 100. Once we get to 100, 100. if we can get to like, we'll set a number, maybe 250 or something, we'll do something, maybe a giveaway or something like that, uh, or like a raffle or something like that. Like I said, just trying to build a community here, get people engaged and involved as much as we can. Um, But we appreciate the support and you guys tuning in. Uh, Any party words here, Miles, before we, before we. Yeah, man, you you said it best. Um, Please just continue to support and, uh, again, engagement. We want to we want to be engaged with everybody. So, um, anything that you all want to want to share, or again, leave comments or feedback, um, things you want us to discuss, please do so, and you know, be more than willing to to get that in there. So, appreciate you all listening as always. All right, we'll catch you next week. Peace. Peace.